Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of the What's In Your Bag podcast with Andrew Robinson, presented by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. All righty, guys, we are back with another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast with Andrew Robinson. And uh, today, we have two wonderful, wonderful new faces on the show today. We have uh, a new face in the What's in Your Bag family. We have our newest host, Alexis Davis. She's uh, a DMV DMV member as well, you know what I'm saying? PG County's finest, you know what I'm saying? Um, we're very, very happy to have Alexis on with us here at uh, the What's in Your Bag podcast. She's a fellow HBCU alum like myself, you know what I'm saying? Also like our guest, even though uh, we haven't introduced him yet. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, before we get to that, man, I definitely just want to let you guys know we're super happy to have Alexis, um, a part of the family. Um, she's definitely uh, brought, already, you know, brought some wonderful ideas to this show that you guys are really going to love. So I want to give Alexis the floor to kind of introduce herself and tell you guys a little bit about, you know, just who she is and, uh, like I said, man, make sure y'all, y'all get used to seeing her face because uh, she's going to be on here quite a bit. Yeah, just super excited to be here. A lot of great things happening on this platform. Wanted to really jump on it early. Um, so, yeah, just overall super happy to be here. Kind of already gave um, the background. So it's not really about me. It's more about the guests. Um, but, yeah, just really happy to be a facilitator. Love it. Love it. Love it. And uh, without further ado, man, like I said, we have we have three Marylanders on this episode today. And uh we are honored to have uh, one of my good friends, man. He's a, a Baltimore native. You know, even though us, us, you know, DMV folks don't really include Baltimore, you know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> it's, it's still Maryland, you know what I'm saying? So I still show him some love. Um, he's well-traveled, man, through Europe, Asia, the NBA, man. He's a extremely, you know, high-level basketball player, man. He's an even better person. Uh, we're joined by none other than Stan Kidd, man. So, Stan, man, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt, no doubt, man. So uh, we're going to get right to it, man. Like I said, you know, obviously you're, you're currently out here playing in, in Japan. And, uh, you know, you and me both, man, we are rookies here in Japan. You know what I'm saying? Getting the, getting the kind of yeah. a fresh start out here in, uh, in, in this side of the world. But uh, I kind of wanted to just ask you, man, like, what's it brought you here to Japan? Talk, talk to us a little bit about just your basketball journey as a whole. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, when did you start playing? Kind of how did you kind of, you know, find yourself? Mm-hmm working your way up through, you know, NCCU to Colorado State, you know, to Europe, to the league, and you know, just kind of what, what brought you here to, to Japan today? Um, Honestly, uh, my first year out of college, uh, I had an offer to come and play in Japan. Um, they had a – I was in I was in California at the time. They had, like, a jamboree or, like, a type of, like, showcase, like, for people that wanted to go play in Japan. And if you know a lot of California, a little bit. Um, so – I uh, went to that jamboree, played well. The team wanted to offer me a good number, probably the most money I would have made coming out as a rookie uh, from college. Uh, but 
I had back to what she was saying, like my journey through Europe, I had hopes of making it to the NBA. You know what I mean? So through that Europe process, which is done, you know, you look at the PJ Tuckers, you look at Patrick Beverly, you look at all these guys that actually, you know, messed around with the NBA, you know, and it's guys that's doing it now. You know, Malcolm Bellani is one from home. Uh, Mike James is another. Uh, so guys that started out in Europe and then, you know, try to find a way to the NBA. That's what I wanted to do. Um, then to just chase the bag right away, you know, because we know that Japan uh, pay these lucrative contracts uh, when you're you're really good and you bring some good to a team. So um, I wanted to do the I wanted to had a I guess the the grind it out out the mud type of type of route before I just wanted to go chase the bag right away. Um, I was hungry at the time. Not that I'm not hungry anymore, but I was hungry at the time and I wanted to prove something. I wanted to show that I could make it to the league. But um, started playing ball at six in NBA uh, at um, East Baltimore. I'm sorry, uh, with Chick Webb. Uh, played there until I was about 14. After that, bounced around with a few teams. Played with Cecil Kirk here and there. Uh, at the time, we had a Baltimore Assault that gave it a run. We did like a uh, AU tournament that was locally. It was like in, at University of Maryland, I believe. It was like they were trying to get a decent program going with Baltimore Assault. Uh, Coach Mark Culture was coaching the team at the time from St. Francis. Um, so I played with them a few tournaments. Then after that, I found my home at uh, Crusaders Nation. And I played with them all until I went to college. So you kind of mentioned a little bit from six to 14 was kind of like those fundamental years in Baltimore. Can you kind of talk to us about the Baltimore basketball scene? Cause a lot of people, they don't really yeah. know that it is a special place. Like even though I'm from PG, I can admit it really is a special place. Can you kind of tell us what it was like growing up um, playing basketball, basketball scene, or just anything, you know, growing up in Baltimore that you feel like really added to your game that kind of gives you that special edge. Um, For me, honestly, being a, uh... I came from West Baltimore, so I played my basketball in East Baltimore. So I already was kind of had the short end of the stick, you know, being uh, from the West side and playing in the East side, which is, quote, unquote, at the time, supposed to have been the best when they producing, you know, basketball players, you know, really, I mean. So I went there uh, with a chip on my shoulder as a youngin. Um, had to learn how to play the game. I'm not going to lie. Guys that, that played there were a little bit more advanced than me, of course, with how to style of play or whatever and, and playing. And I think what it gave me was – a little, a level of toughness, you know. Um, it gave me a level of toughness where I competed against some of my my guys that was in that 2010 class. Since we was kids, all the way up until now, um, it was crazy. You know, I mean, you had a list number of guys that I could name that actually went on to play professionally or uh, got interest in the NBA or still are in the NBA. You know, what I mean, so um, it was definitely a grind. You know, what I mean. Um, just going from six to fourteen, you just seen a difference in my game so rapidly. You know, uh, some guys start playing maybe at, you know, 12, you know, but I think the fundamentals that helped me was playing at six and learning how to do the certain things that I didn't have to learn that a guy was learning at 12. You know, I learned that at an early age and now I got that in my back pocket. So now I can advance and, and, and progress in the game way faster when I got older. Now you mentioned it uh, just now, there were guys that, you know, came up kind of around that time or even a little bit before you that had made it to the league and things like that. Um, as Alexis mentioned, Baltimore is a hotbed, you know, as far as basketball with a bunch of rich tradition, as far as guys who have played at a high level. Were there guys, uh, either when you were coming up or even now maybe that kind of mentored you or that you looked to for advice that kind of helped you along the way um, that were from Baltimore, that guys that you could kind of look at and be like, all right, you know, this is somebody who I want to kind of mold my career after, try to follow in their footsteps or anybody that kind of, was able to help you or give you advice, you know, when you were coming up through the city and obviously even now in your pro career? Um, when I was younger, it wasn't much, you know, you didn't really see too many of the, the, um, 
the NBA guys or the pro guys that was around, like how we around now for the young guys, you know, uh, not that they didn't want to do that, but maybe, you know, in the, in the time of their life, things were going on. It was different. You know what I mean? And I don't think we had a bunch of venues where we can go like, you know, how we go work out, Drew, we work out in the summer, we work out at Route 1 Sports and everybody comes through the gym. You know what I mean? So we didn't have a place like that. If we were lucky enough, we were at Chick Webb playing and, you know, at this time, Muggsy probably was retired, but Muggsy's nephew played on the team and his son played with the team also. So, you know, Muggsy would come through in and out. So that was a guy that we seen like, oh, that's Muggsy Bowles. He made it out from here, yada, yada, yada. Um, of course, you know, you got the Carmelos and the Rudy Gays. So at that time, you know, we seen them play in high school. You know, the Dante Greens, the Michael we watched them in high school, but we wasn't really around them, around them to really soak up the game. Now, when I got older and I started playing professionally myself, that's when I was able to kind of rub elbows with these guys and get an understanding of how to game. But I feel like in our class, that 2010 class with, you know, the Will Bartons, the CJ Fairs, the Josh Shelby's, um, the list goes on, um, uh, Roscoe Smith, myself, Najee Hibbert, all these guys that was in that 09-2010 class, uh, I think we motivated each other. We all came up together and we played against each other. So it was no, it, it was easy for us to kind of click, you know what I mean? And um, as time went on, of course, guys kind of went in their separate ways because they were going to different colleges. And, you know, at this time, it becomes a business. You know, you got to do your thing to become the best of the best so you can move on forward and get paid for this game. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of guys like Carmelo that you kind of seen work their way up um, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, for some people, basketball, either they're playing for fun or trying to go pro. Clearly, your goal was to play pro. So can you kind of tell us about that experience working through Europe and, you know, eventually mm -hmm. the NBA with Utah Jazz? Kind of just tell us about, I guess you could say, just your pro tenure and how it's been that experience just trying to constantly go after that goal. Yeah, um, you know, starting out uh, – Basically, when I came out of high school, um, I had a few offers. I had, like, you know, local offers, like uh, Morgan offered me a partial scholarship. Um, Cotton State, I think, offered me a partial scholarship. And then I had Loyola, who offered me a full ride. Uh, but I didn't have the grades to do so, you know. So um, the next step for me wasn't to go to prep school. I know all my boys that was playing, they kind of did that prep school route to redo the SAT, and then they were reclassified. This was this – was, the way of reclassifying before it was called reclassified, you know, so people was doing that. Instead, I just like, you know, I'd rather go do a, uh, do the junior college route, go to junior college, compete, get a two years of college, get my, uh, my AA degree, and then go on to a four-year school. Um, I happened to go to one of the best junior colleges in the country at the time, which was uh, South Plains Community College down in West Texas. Uh, going there, I had an okay freshman season, you know, normal. You got to get used to the, uh, the physicality, the, the you know, the style of play, being away from home the first time at 18 years old, 19 years old. And then I came back that following. We had a monster year. Um, we actually were undefeated along with two more guys that was from Baltimore and a guy that was from Silver Spring. Deshaun Walker was from Silver Spring. Darrell Edwards right. who was from Baltimore. Springbrook Yeah, <laughs> yep, a bucket, yep. And yeah. then we had Corey Spence. Uh, so, and along with some New York guys, uh, we had some Europeans on the team. Um, uh, we had a couple guys down from South, of course, that was from Texas. So, we, uh, Coach Steve Green put that team together really well, along with uh, our assistants, uh, Justin Brown and Hank Colonna. And uh, we went on and won a national championship 36-0. and 0. And now those college offers that I didn't get in high school, 
I was starting to receive them, you know, from different areas, Nebraska, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, all these schools. I probably had majority of most schools uh, outside of the the Power Five conferences. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the Kentuckys, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, you know what I mean? So it was, it was dope. And I had a lot of West Coast schools too. But at that time, before the season, I think I was able to play so free because I signed early to North Carolina Central. So my goal was to sign to a school, get it over with, and then go into the season with no worries. I know I'm going to school. I, I could have betted on myself then and been like, you know, no, I'm just going to wait until sign after the season, but I signed early. And, you know, I bit the bullet on that one. I couldn't win anywhere else, but I don't cha- I don't want to change my journey for anything. North Carolina Central was the best year of my life. You know, um, just being home and actually having my parents being able to come and see me play majority of the time, you know, I mean, with us having trips uh, back up to the Maryland area, which we would play Eastern Shore. Um, we didn't play uh, Morgan or Cobbin that, uh, up in Baltimore, but when they came, when Morgan Cobbin came down to Central, my parents came down along, so. Uh, it was dope. It was dope. It was actually fun to be around my family. Yeah. Now, this was actually supposed to be later on in, in the show, but since we're on the topic now, I thought you know, may as well jump right into it. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Central has, has been a powerhouse in the MEAC, you know, for, for a bunch of years. Just talking about, yeah. you know, you mentioned that it was it was the best year of your life, man. So I kind of want to dive mm-hmm. into that a little bit, man. Like, what made it the best year of your life? Kind of what, what, what was your experience overall, like, at Central, you know, off the court, off the court? I think I have three people on this podcast right now who attend the HBCUs. I got a master's degree from college, yeah. played there as well. Like, I think there's a unique opportunity right here to kind of shine some light on, you know, what it's like to not only play basketball at HBCU, but, you know, play there because uh, socially it's definitely a, a great experience as well, man, being around people that, that look like you, attending homecoming yeah. and things like that. So just talk about what that experience was like, you know, at, at Central for you for that one year. Yeah, um, I mean, when I went on a visit, the hospitality that they showed my parents and uh, my brother came on that visit. My sister came on that visit, you know, coach Lavelle Moulton actually did what he's supposed to do when uh, you bring in quote unquote, a high Juco prospect, you know, that you're trying to recruit. I think that's why I fell in love with it. You know, it, it, to see my mom and dad at ease uh, with me going to school because I was going to school so far away for junior college to get closer. Just made it, it made it that much easier. Then coach Moulton just kind of, told me like, man, you're going to have the keys, um, you know, to this, to this, what we're going to do this year. You know, I got some great players. I got some great returning players, you know, Poopy Chapman, uh, Jeremy Ingram, uh, along with a lot of other guys. Um, so, you know, it was just kind of, it kind of molded into what I was used to at North Carolina, I mean, at um, uh, South Plains in Texas. Uh, yeah, we weren't undefeated, but I felt that same love or that same transition of, Oh, this went. It's a winning program. You know, we're gonna we're gonna come here and try to win, um, and that's that what we did. But uh, off the court, the lifestyle, you know, just being on campus, like you said, being around the, the the all the type of functions that you have throughout the week. You know, the the chicken fried Fridays and the and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, the ten forty breaks at the lunch room, stuff like that, like things that kind of got you outside of your classroom. Uh, you know, when you needed a little break in between classes, things like that. Um, And then just, you know, just being around your boys, um, uh, the frat parties, whatever you want to call it, like whatever your niche was, you just had fun. And then we were in the the mecca of basketball. We were five minutes from Duke and 15 minutes from NC. You know what I mean? So uh, being being able to rub elbows with guys like Quinn Cook and, you know, guys at um, at Central, I mean, at um, North Carolina, like uh, 
Reggie Bullock, you know, it just was, it was dope. You know, those are the two guys that I kind of met and got close to on campus at the time. And me and Quinn still got a great relationship and also uh, Reggie too. But, uh, you know, it just, it was, it was just perfect. And then let alone we were winning basketball. So that, that's the, that's the main thing. When you're winning, everything is love. Yeah, so you kind of mentioned some of those relationships that you've been able to foster. And I feel like that's really something that's so good about basketball, whether if you're an only child, whether if you have a boatload of siblings, you can really just come, you know, into basketball and really find your people. So kind of fast forward a little bit. Now we're in the NBA, we're in Utah, not really a lot, a lot of people <laughs> like that, but we're in Utah, we're, you know, at that NBA scene. Would you ever consider going that route again? And can you kind of talk to us about how your tenure was and, you know, some different things that you might have experienced? Um, yeah, going to the NBA, um, it was, it was definitely, a you know, a process, you know, playing four years in Europe, um, playing at a high level. My last two years before I went to the NBA was, uh, was the key to me, uh, getting there, you know, um, a hell of a year, my first season in Turkey with David Black, come back, play in the summer league that summer where I got my NBA notoriety and Utah Jazz kind of jumped on the bandwagon like, hey, look, we like you. We're going to watch you throughout the year. We wish we could sign you this year, but we know you're locked into your deal. Uh, didn't want to take the two-way, so I went on and went back, betting on myself, and then that's how I came about that non-guarantee kind of deal that they kind of give, you know, guys that's coming out of uh, Europe. Um, with me, I wasn't a, a big-time scorer in Europe. I mean, I averaged like, you know, nine, ten points. Um, I mean, that's good on a, on a top high-level team, but, you know, I think if I was the average a little bit more, maybe 15, 16 points, and shot it a little bit better from three that final year that I was in Europe, um, before I went to the league, I think I would have found myself in a situation where I could kind of maneuver around with a better deal. Uh, but going into the Jazz, they loved everything about me, the way I shoot the ball, uh, the way I defend, uh, the way I was able to pass and just understood the game and be able to guard uh, one through four. Um, so they kind of wanted to bring me as a three and D guy. Um, the experience was crazy, you know, um, being on a championship team like, like Utah, where, uh, those guys were fighting to make it to the West conference finals and, you know, alone get to a championship, you know? Um, so, you know, being there with, you know, the Mitchells, the Ingles, um, uh, uh, Jeff Green, another, uh, Maryland guy, um, you know, it, it was it was outstanding, and um, it was a luxury because I learned so much in, in, in such a small amount of time that uh, I wouldn't trade it. You know, I wouldn't trade it how it happened because I wish I could have been there for you know five plus years because I would learn so much. But I think when you come in and learn so much, and you're so open to to learn new things and, and get taught new things when it comes to basketball, that is, um, you know, you you just you cherish those moments. You know, I, I think as you go on and you become a veteran, you're kind of linked on to give those same things that you learned to the guys coming behind you, you know. Um, but it was fun. It was fun. Um, the travel, the lifestyle, uh, actually playing against some of your idols and getting out there, it was, it was perfect. Yep. Now, we had Eric Green on the podcast, I, I believe, about three weeks ago, and he was kind of talking about <laughs> You know his time with with the Nuggets. Uh, he actually had a day yeah. with the with the uh, Jazz as well during his stint, and you know he kind of was battling with it as well. Mm -hmm. The thing that we talked about was, I guess, the decision. Like, all right, like, do I leave playing? You know, Euro Cup, Euro League, like to go mm -hmm. and, and chase this 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 dream of playing in the league. Obviously, like you mentioned, on not guaranteed. You know, it's a gamble. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, and even after that, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, do I go back and give it another shot? You know, do I do summer league again at this stage in my career? Like. For you, what was that decision 
uh, process like for you and like, all right, you know, and also you, I, I didn't want to glaze, glaze over this for the people who are listening. David Blatt obviously was a, a NBA coach with the Cavaliers when LeBron was there. Mm-hmm. I believe it took them to the NBA finals. So the fact that you, you played for him in Turkey um, is definitely, yeah. definitely not a, a small thing. And that's a crazy connection. I, I didn't even know. Um, yeah. But kind of getting back, I want to talk to you just about your, your thought process at that time, you know, what kind of was it that for you made you want to, you know, leave playing at a high level in Europe to go and, um, you know, bet on yourself uh, on, on that non-guaranteed guaranteed deal. And then second part of that is, you know, at this point in your career, like, would you ever want to give the NBA a shot again? Like, you know, what's that thought process like now? Yeah. Um, for one, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. Not that, I, that it's a bad thing, but just now at this point, I'm, you know, I'm 30, I'll be 31 come March. Uh, of course, I can play at that level. I know I can, but, you know, the NBA is getting younger. You know, it's not getting older. You know, it's getting younger. I mean, the, the youngest guy that's coming to the NBA will probably be 18 next year, 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. So uh, that time frame for guys like myself that play, that, that didn't get drafted, that play overseas, that's kind of grinding out and getting, getting there, is that age between, I want to say, 24 and 27. That was that was my 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 mark years where I feel like between 24 and 27 if I can crack the league and stick then cool if I'm 27 I crack the league by 31 I'm 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 in I'm four years I'm four maybe three four years in you know so uh I, it didn't I mean it happened but it didn't go the way we wanted to like I said I went to a championship contender team where um they were fighting to 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 win that season and they made some changes and with me being expendable where I'm non-guaranteed, where I have a trigger dates at all times. Um, it wasn't that my performance was bad or I didn't do well. Just that the fact that, hey, look, we're, we're not playing them. If we do play them, it's not meaningful minutes. And then also, uh, we don't want to waste this time because we're trying to, you know, make things happen. We need some legitimate uh, veterans and, you know, some scoring. And that's how that whole situation be coming about me leaving. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it anymore. You know, I mean, I, I would give advice to people that's trying to chase it. And there's nothing wrong with doing it through Europe. Um, I mean, of course, if, if it happened to be something serious, guaranteed and all this, that and third. And yeah, I'll give it a look. But as of right now, I'm in a situation where I'm comfortable. I'm happy. Uh, my mental is, is, is not even about basketball. It's more so of me just being happy. Because I know the ball is going to take care of itself. I work so hard in the summer that I know that work is going to pay off. I trust in that work. So now my thing is just working on my mental space, just having, having, being happy. Because a lot of times when I was in Europe, a lot of times, you know, you got to deal with all the stuff that people don't talk about. You know, the paid on time, the apartment, the cars, this, that, and third. So now here it's just like, <sighs> like I'm good. Like I'm focused on this, this basketball stuff. But at the end of the day, I ain't got to worry about anything off the court. So you mentioned just a little bit there some of the different mm-hmm. things you had to deal with in Europe. Um, I know it might seem like a lot of people are familiar with what that everyday grind looks like, but for people that's not in it, they may not know. Yeah. Can you, not to talk down on the Europe experience at all, because I'm sure you gained a lot of takeaways from that as well. But can you kind of just tell us, you know, a little bit about that too? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't want people to take it the wrong way. I love Europe. I would. I will. And I'm open to playing in Europe again. Uh if it presents itself, but um, yeah, the Europe in and out grind is, um, you know, two day practices. Uh, some play, we play. I'm just speaking off of, I'm gonna speak off my experience. I'm not gonna speak off other people's experience, but 
Um, most of the time it's a morning shoot, like morning, come in and get your workout in, shots, weights. Then you come back at night and practice. Some people, other people practice twice, like actual full practice tape when you practice twice. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to play for great coaches that understood that health is is important and we're not going to practice you two times a day for no reason. We're going to, you know, you may come in and get some shots on certain days. You may have one practice on certain days, you know, or you may shoot and then practice right after. It depends. Uh, you know, I think one of the hard things is um, when you're in Europe uh, and you got those late practices, um, you're coming home and you want to find something to eat. Maybe if you're not in a big city, your restaurant's closed that you normally go to. So now you got to call them a cook. I think that's one of the perks uh, of being here in Japan is because most of our practices is early. So when I get out, I have time to come home and cook or either uh, order some food, you know, things like that. Um, what else? Uh, travel. Um, you know, depending on where you're playing at. I know me playing the EuroLeague and Euro Cup, we normally had our own rooms on travel. Uh, they normally got extra row seats, things like that. Uh, but um, for the most part, I would say it just depends on what what organization you're with and who's running that organization when it comes to uh, your experiences. Because I can't really sit here and say I had a a bad experience where I felt like the team just didn't give a shit about me. You know, um, it was more so. If anything, it was little things that I wanted done or I couldn't get done, and it was personal. It wasn't nothing serious that jeopardized my my uh my playing ability or whatever it came to for me playing the game or my family coming or whatever so it was perfect now man i i, I gotta i gotta definitely speak on this man because uh you know yeah. our, our trainer man our guy jamal haywood 9450 yeah uh shout out to him yeah. you know i'm saying one of the best trainers <laughs> in the dmv one of the best trainers in the country man i've been seeing Absolutely. him man and uh you know every every time every time you you pop off you know out here in japan in the game he right to the, mm. the fingers on the story at Euro yeah. League, Euro Cup. Yeah, he wants to sign this man, blah, 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 blah. You know, we, we yeah. made all this stuff, man. And uh, I saw the comment every day, man. You were like, man, chill, man. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy out here, man. You know, <laughs> I'm peaceful, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, man, like, just talk about that, man. Because like I said, this is your first mm -hmm. year out here in Japan. So, like, what have the first couple yeah. uh, months been like out here for you, man? How are you, how are you enjoying it? You know, what have you noticed about just playing out here? Um... I know for me, I, I've had my own experience, and, and, and I'll share mine after, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on just, you know, what it's been like uh, out here so far compared yeah. to being in Europe and everything like that, despite what, what Maul's been out here preaching to the world on uh, on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maul, Maul crazy, bro. Um, the, the little backstory on that was uh, this summer we were going through, you know, of course, our, our um, you know, signing period where, you know, teams were passing up or, team wasn't you know fully sure or maybe they, we couldn't get the number that we wanted to get to for me to come there uh so at the, um my, my season this last season in Russia I had a hell of a year all the way up until I got injured in January I rolled my ankle pretty bad and when I rolled my ankle they uh I didn't play for the remainder of the year on top of the war that happened so I left Russia early so when I left Russia early I was kind of like you know, I always tell people, and this is the God honest truth, and I hope when people watch this, they see it. Nobody cares what you do the first half of the season. Like when it, like it's good to play well, but when it comes to that September on to January, it's not really maybe after January first, but always leading up to January, it's not really. I don't think it's credited. Yes, they, you want to play well, yes, but I think it's those those last four months is where. 
teams start to sign you for next year? You know, what do you do when it comes down to the playoff time, championship time, this, that, and the third? And it showed. I had a hell of a year in January, but I got hurt. And I could, I physically couldn't play. Like, no matter what I did to try to come back, my ankle just wasn't right and it wasn't ready. Uh, then the war happened, so I went home. And with me being at home for, I got home April April 6th, I think. So me being home for really four months, five months in the summer and not playing no type of meaningful basketball, I kind of fall off the team's radar, regardless of what I did. So when we started, you know, when my agent started pushing my name to these teams, it's just like, ah, I think he'll step away. It's that third. I'm like, dog, I'm 30 years old and play at the highest levels. What do you mean I'm going to step away? Like, I know how to play basketball. So when it came down to it, Maul just couldn't believe it. He just was appalled, like, bro, no European team wants you. I'm like, not the level that we want. We want to go. I said, yeah, I can sit here and go play for a team and take a crazy pay cut and, you know, and just say that I'm in Europe when I'm playing in Euro Cup or Euro League. Uh, but I was like, the level that I feel like I need to be at, you know, we're not getting those offers. So, you know, he just was like, bro, that's disrespectful, bro. So we just turned that into fuel of the fire to get back healthy, you know, and be ready for this season. So as the summer went on, we got a few more offers. The long, like the longer you wait, the more offers come because some guys turn down deals, and some guys are chasing the NBA. Right. Uh, but once we got the deal here in Japan, we kind of just closed the door in Europe for a second, you know, and just was like, man, what? You know, my agent said, what you want to do? He's like, you want to go to Europe, grind it out, you know, make the same amount of money, but go to Europe, grind it out, and uh, you know, maybe don't advance in the next round of, of Euro Cup or yeah, yeah, yeah. Just speaking on certain teams. And I just, oh, he was like, you want to make your bread, take care of your body, and then, you know, get your foot in the door in Japan because we all know in 2026, J the Japan budget is about to go crazy, you know? So he just was like, let's let's think, you know, 10 steps ahead. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'm like, let's go to Japan. And I couldn't have fell into a better situation. You know, like this situation is crazy. Like, it's crazy. Now, I got I to gotta ask um, on the follow to that, man, because I think, I found out about that through Justin Burrell. Um, and for those of you yeah. all, Justin Burrell is also a guy who we're familiar with back from Maryland, Route One guy. Um, mm -hmm. He's playing out here in Japan. He's been out here for like 10 years at least. Um, he's yeah. out here in the B League as well, up, up in Sendai. So shout out to Justin, man. But he was telling me about kind of Japan and the direction that the league is going, how they're essentially trying to make Japan, you know, their own version of the NBA, quote unquote, to where they have like 30 teams. Uh, there's like a, a minimum requirement in order for you to be in the league. You have to have at least a 10,000 seat arena, uh, mm -hmm. all these type of things, man. So they're trying to pour a bunch of money into it. And uh, I think they're going to go away with this three league. Right now it's a B1, B2, B3 in Japan. Uh, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure by 2026 there's either only going to be one league or there might just be the B1 and the B2. But long story short, um, it definitely is kind of a long game for guys that are kind of trying, trying to get here now and kind of get your, you know, get yeah. your money also kind of set up because – it's getting ready to be some crazy stuff that, that, that's happening in, in Japan. But I kind of want to just speak on that a little bit, too, because I think I've been out here in Japan. I got here early because I was playing three-by-three three first before I signed right. with the team. Now that I'm playing. And, uh, man, it's, it's it's almost night and day from Europe in the sense of, like, mm -hmm. just the, the the peace of mind you have out here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's so nice, respectful. We My team practices, we, we got one practice a day. We go for about an yeah. hour and 20 minutes. And then the rest of the time, we might have a gym for four hours. We're just shooting and getting up skill work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's 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 been a dope experience. It's like obviously I'm a lot younger than you are, but for me, I was I was kind of of the mindset. I was like, yo, man, I'm trying to 
get back to Europe, work, work, work my way up through Europe, like, you know, play Euro Cup, Euro League, champion, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's crazy because I got out here and I'm like, man, like, yo, if you here 2022, if you can solidify yourself early, move up, you know what I'm saying, things like that, you might could walk into some serious bread into a serious situation in a couple of years. Like, and I think a lot of people, myself included, when I was thinking about, damn, like, I'm going to go to Japan. It's like, it's on the other side of the world. It's a completely different language. The food is completely mm-hmm. different. Like, I was super skeptical, like, about coming out here. Right. Coming, like, damn, I don't know what it's like, man. But being out here, um, I mean, it's great. You know, it's, it's definitely great. Yeah. Seeing, obviously, like, and I, I'm playing in the B3. Like, I'm watching the B1 games. The fans is crazy. The arena yeah. is packed. Yeah. You know, I'm watching the game in Okinawa. They got an NBA arena, you know, out there, man. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really some crazy situations, like, up there, uh, obviously, in the B League, man. I think – a lot of people now are kind of starting to notice that, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I want to kind of give my perspective on it as well. But, you know, you said that you walk into the best possible situation. And, like, I from a, I just want to kind of um, ask you, like, just, I guess, to elaborate on that a little bit more about, like, why you feel like this was kind of the perfect situation for you, you know, right now, given the timing and, and just, you know, what makes the situation you're in now kind of a perfect situation for you. Right. So um, getting this call in the summer, uh, shout out to my guy Mo Smith. He's real tight with our assistant coach at the time, Kevin Braswell. Another ball, he's a Baltimore guy. Yeah, he, he comes yeah. to Hobbit for a little bit. Uh, like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was at, um, you know, he, he got a good relationship with him, Braswell, Coach B, KB being from, uh, you know, East Baltimore, played at Lake Clifton, uh, played at Georgetown. Uh, so, you know, there's already that connection, connection there uh, when it comes to that. And then I, I haven't played against KBO. I haven't, you know, he haven't coached against me, but he coached in the same league that I was in when and that was Australia. That's I went to Australia after I left the NBA. Yeah. So, um, you know, he was real well-known in that league, won a bunch of championships in that league. So when it came down to it and I jumped on the phone with him about, you know, potentially coming here, he just was like, man, you know, listen, I pretty much run the offense. Uh, so he was like, I can tell you that. You know, you're going to get an opportunity to showcase what you can do and play at a high level. He was like, um, you know, you can have uh, a great year here, a mediocre year, don't matter. But if you're nice and you're as far as personality and you show love and you're respectful to everybody and just, you know, always keep a smile and on time, like you can play here a long time. And that's when he told me about the whole, the whole how the money's going to change in a few years. So I was just like, and no question. I'm like, I'm a likable guy, nice guy, well, well man, well respectful when it comes to hooping um, and things like that. And, you know, just the business side, you know, um, and, you know, he understood that. So I signed with, the, I, I, you know, I take the offer. I talk to the head coach, Coach Kenzo, uh, sign with them, take the offer. And then a few weeks later, KB hit me back and was like, uh, um, Coach Kenzo had to step down. He had stepped down because um, his wife was ill at the time, so he stopped, stepped down to take care of him. So uh, KB took the over the head coaching job. When I got here, he was here as the head coach. Um, so it was just like, dang, like, you know what I'm saying? But Coach Kenzo still, you know, kept in communication and let us know that he was still around. He's still rooting for us. Um, sadly, his wife passed away uh, about a week and a half ago. And, um, you know, we attended the funeral and everything. So that automatically showed me that, these everybody here cares. You know what I mean? They've been here for as guys on my team have been here for years. You know what I mean? As you know, that that uh no coach Kenzo. I didn't know him like that personally, but for him to reach out to me while his wife is 
basically ill and, you know, he don't know when she's going to pass away to show that he cares about me. He cares about the game and, you know, he loves what he does. Um, and I'm sure his wife did too. So um, from right then and on, like, I felt like we had something to play for this season. That was for him and his family. And uh, like I said, man, KV just kind of taking me under the wing and, you know, showing me the ropes and, you know, letting me know that like, man, look, you know, we, we know you're, uh, we know what you came here to do. We depending on you. Um, I expect you to be, you know, uh, um, vocal and, and become a leader. Uh, you don't have to necessarily be called the captain to be a leader. So, and that's the thing that I'm doing. I mean, KB is a hell of a coach, man. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think it's it's seen yet because, like I said, it's early on in the year. Yes, we started off great, but I think when it comes down to that 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 middle pack of the season where it's time to fight for those playoff positions, I think people will see how great KB is. Bro, I did not know he was coaching out here. That is crazy. Yes, sir. Here, coach. Man, yes, sir. That's crazy, yep. bro. He was coaching that cop and like not this year. He was helping out with Juan. Wait, Juan Dixon like a year, yep. year a year ago. I was chopping yep. up with him out there, man. That's it was a small world, man. This basketball world, man. That's small crazy. world. Small world. Small world. Well, yeah, you mentioned um something that was really important about just being a likable stand-up guy. And to me, that mm-hmm. kind of uh, transfers over into being coachable so just those different elements that you have outside of you know how well you dribble how many points you're racking up just like those little things well not little honestly in my opinion they're big being likable being a team player being somebody like if your teammates having something somebody that they can call etc where does those things come from like we know you know your dad he played at Morgan State you mentioned some mm-hmm. other guys that have really influenced you so where has like that character foundation really come from Oh, y'all did y'all research? <laughs> I ain't know y'all knew my dad played at Morgan State. How y'all know that? Uh, but she's um, star. she's a star. Yeah. Um, I um, you know, just being around my teammates, I can't really speak the language, but um, some understand English a little bit. But I I I still find ways to communicate with them, whether it's a joke, laugh, uh, hand signals, whatever it is that kind of you know get them to get comfortable. But I know one thing. And KB mentioned this in practice about us being more vocal and communicate more on the court. Basketball is universal. So if I can't communicate with them everyday life, I could communicate with them when they come into the gym and we communicate basketball. You know, what what can we do on this pin down? What can we do on this cross screen? How can I get you open and also give me a look too? Things like that. Or, you know, I know you shoot better from this side, so we're going to get you the ball on this side. Whatever it is. Um, so... I think that helps. And then also with the staff, um, I have a great relationship with the training staff and, uh, and the other coaches, assistant coaches too. Not along just KB, but like along with the other assistant coaches. Um, uh, if you pay attention to my Instagram, some people, uh, I'm always, I always got them recorded on my camera, on my, on my phone, on my story. You know, they, they, they're just funny guys. They're cool. They, 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 they love the game. Uh, they're super excited. Um, you know, I think what, what it helps with me being from, you know, the Maryland and the Baltimore area, um, we got so many greats, so it's always like um, uh, one of our assistants, Harry. Um, he always talking about the greats that come from you know that Maryland, Baltimore area. You know, one day he might ask me about Kevin Durant. And I'm like, I don't know him personally, but I know his game and I love his game. I know people that's around him. You know, he asked me about Mike Bees, and then he started asking me about guys from Baltimore like Melo, Rudy, Will. You know, he asked about Malcolm Delaney, things like that. So uh, it's crazy, you know what I mean? And one of, the, one of the guys that Harry likes about a lot, shout out to Kill Carl. He asks about Kill Carl almost every day. You know, it's like, like I think I think that's it because Harry's a small guy. So, you know, that's like his 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 guy that he look at like, oh, man, that yeah, Kill. Like, I'm like, yeah, he's still playing. He's still doing his thing, man. Like, he's still around. I play against him every summer. 
Like, yeah, like he's around. But um, yeah, I think also from my upbringing and my mom and raising me the right way, my father raised me the right way. And then just, like I said, being away from home at 18 years old, you know, I learned how to grow up fast. So now being over here, it's, it's second nature to me how to act. Now, you know, I, I call it, I don't call it a front, but I call it being professional, you know, but now when you get me around my homeboys and Drew, you can vouch for this, I'm a totally different guy. You know, I'm, I'm funny, I'm laughing, I'm joking. You know, my, my lingo might be different, but like when it's time to, you know, when it's about your money, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta act a certain way and, and understand, not, not, not to say be, be somebody else, but understand that it's a business, you're a brand. So you gotta, you gotta portray yourself as this brand. So that people don't, you know, overlook it. You know what I mean? So. Now, man, I think that's the perfect segue into my next question, man. Cause you mentioned, you know, how, uh, you know, you're a business and, and you're a brand. And uh, one of the main yeah. things that uh, I, I kind of um, want to focus on with this, what's in your bad podcast is just, you know, talking about things outside of basketball that athletes are interested in and, you know, got going on. And like last week we were talking to Quinn, he's talking about some of the business investments that he's made. And he's an author, got a children's book coming on. Um, I kind of want to talk mm-hmm. about like, you know, what are some things that you'd like to get into uh, off the court? Like obviously you got a bunch of free time out here in Japan now since you, yeah. know, you got them two days and things like that. Like uh, what are some things that, you know, that you like to get into outside of basketball, uh, some things that people might not know uh, about you? Um, I think right now for me, the easiest one um, is real estate. Uh, that's just something that um, my, my right-hand man, my boy, Justin Carpenter, uh, another HBCU guy, went to Clark Atlanta. Um, he basically, uh, I can't tell you how many properties he got in Baltimore area, but he's making a killing. And also he's doing, you know, the management for artists down in Atlanta. Of course, that's the Mecca for music. So uh, with the real estate stuff, man, we, we always just kind of tapping in and figuring out what we can do. So we got a project coming uh, the first of, not the first of the year. I want to say sometime in Jan- in January. So coming 2023. Uh, and it, I, I, th- I don't think it's a crazy, super duper big project, but it's something that I think that's going to make some good money for us. And also it's in the copping area. You know what I mean? So um, that's going to be good for us. Also, um, I, I'm in love with music from R&B to rap to old school, whatever it is. So I think the next step for me is, you know, kind of piggybacking up what he's doing, not management, but trying to figure out how we can get a studio, do a studio somehow, some way. I think that's the small things. Now, I got my hands dibbling and dabbing a lot of other things with my brother. My brother has a cleaning business. Uh, he want to he get into trucking, so I'm backing him with that. So, I mean, it's just a little bit of small things. Um, but nothing that I have. I think the music thing is something that I really love. So I think that's what I want to I want to focus on. But I haven't got a chance to really lock in with that. Um, I feel like, you know, as time go on, I want I, I don't see myself playing past – 38, 40. Uh, I kind of want to kind of like just chill after that. So uh, I think that would be the time where I could really lock in with this music thing. Because music is universal. It's only going to keep getting better. Like we see every day new artists come out, new R&B songs come out, yada, yada, yada. So I'm looking forward to that. That's dope. Yes, you said you're like a big music guy. So when it's coming time to play, the clock is (laughs) down. Like what are you playing? Like maybe two or three songs. Like what are you playing that really gets you into that mode that's like, okay, I'm getting ready to kill everyone that's out here. Um, so I'll play right now. I'm listening, I, I'm listening to some Baltimore local rappers. Uh, and I ain't call them local because these guys are really doing their thing and they're known not just locally, you know, they're known 
from California back to East Coast to New York down the South. Um, putting the Baltimore industry on the map. Um, I'm listening to YG Tech right now. Um, I play 90 Day Run every single time before the game. Uh, then after that, I'll play YBS Coda, who's a, a Baltimore native also. Uh, he's from my neighborhood, um, Emerson Village. Uh, I'll play Count It Up with him and Roddy Rax on uh, Roddy Rax is on the feature, um, who's another great Baltimore rapper. Um, and then when it comes down to game time, when I'm about to leave out, y'all might think I'm crazy, but I play the Halloween theme song. Halloween theme song. Definitely like a movie. Yeah. That? They're like Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how that's how I get into my mode. And I'm not gonna sit here and say like that's something that I came up with. I saw this interview probably like seven, eight years. I've been doing this for a long time. So I saw this for like seven, eight years ago. It was a Kobe. And Kobe on the way to the gym, he's playing in the car. Or just just or wherever you're going, like just doing game day. He's in the locker room, it's playing. And it's just crazy. And they say, like, he just keep that killer instinct in his head. You know, when you hear that song, who you think coming? You know, a killer, Michael Myers. So as time went on, I just, like, I started doing it ever since college. And it just got me in that mode. Like, I was just really in that mode. But, like, like I said, my songs, before before that song, my songs vary. So, one, like, it'll be one day I might be listening to Anita Baker before the game. And I might have one of the rap songs. Like that. Then that, that last song has to be the Halloween thing. <laughs> that's my first time hearing that so i yeah, that's, yeah. i'm still that's like i'm still right processing that's yeah, a gem right yeah. hey i might gotta try that i might gotta try that before <laughs> my next game see if i go kill don't get don't get you in that mode that's what happened that's what happened i had that had that 29 up in, uh um uh well what's the team down um the first game here um dang i can't remember the name of the team the, the green team right yes uh hokkaido yeah, I had that twenty nine. That was playing. That was that was playing for the time that, uh, like by the time I got we got to the gym, my first two songs played, and then I listened to that when I walked into the arena. Then I played my first two songs back again, and then by the time I was going on the court, where because we can't have our earplugs in on court for some reason, mm-hmm. I, um, that was the last song I played for when the court started warming up, and it just got me. It just had me in that mode, bro. It had me in that mode, and I've been doing it. Like I said, I've been doing it for like. Like eight years, bro. Since like college, <laughs> like it's crazy. That's tough. That's tough. I'm about to say that's definitely some free game for everybody because I've never, I've never. Everybody different. Everybody different. Like I said, I always try to. I, I mean, I got the mainstream guys that I listen to, of course, the little babies and stuff like that. But I hear that every day, so I try to play like people that I know or people that's from my city. You know, my homeboy Fat Fool. I play him. Uh, relentlessly, you know, because it's somebody that I know and I want to hear that music. Um, so I try to do that, you know, just to shed love. I, even like on my, my basketball videos that I, somebody may cut up a clip for me. If they don't pick the song for me, I'm picking one of my homeboys. I'm picking a song that, that's somebody from my city because I feel like my platform can push them because their music, they don't have to make music for us. You know what I mean? I, I appreciate it. You know what I mean? It, it, it brings light to the city like that. You know, it's just not about hooping or playing football. You know, you can do something else, whether it's a rapper or a business owner or whatever it is, some type of entrepreneur. So I got love and respect for everybody. Uh, it's not just basketball players or athletes or other athletes, should I say. 
So we have this new segment that we are trying out. So you'll be the first one. So hopefully that's uh -oh. for you. Um, so, you know, we try to definitely do, you know, outside of what's on the court, what's in your bag. Um, so it's going to be a fashion segment called Mismatch, clearly a mismatch, uh, okay. you know, play on words, pretty clever in my opinion, but whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> match right, let's see. So basically, first question for you. So a lot of people, DMV in Baltimore, they're really talking about New Balances and how DMV started it, 990s, 993s. So in your opinion, have you owned a pair? And who do you think really that trend started from? He go a lot. Yeah. I'm going to give you the God honest truth. So, and, I, and I'm going to keep it 100. I have multiple players in 990s, 992s, 993s. Um. And I slowed down on wearing them so much because I got into other, you know, different brands. But through high school, college, maybe my first three years of pro, I I still was wearing them. Now they just dropped a new design, which is the seven twenty fives, I think, the new balance seven twenty fives, and they are fire. They are they are like flames. So I've been trying to find them, and I can't. So I think that's my. But I feel like so I can't really sit here and say, but I feel like. Baltimore was the guys with the nine, with the New Balance. No, hit me out, hit me out, hit me out. Y'all, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. One thing that y'all did, and I say that, and I can say this, and I can really vouch for this because I have a close PG, PG homeboy. Y'all were known for Jays. I like. I'm telling you, in 2009, 2008, 2010, we wore we wore phone pauses more, and, and, and I'm not saying that y'all didn't either, but we wore phone pauses more in Baltimore. Form Pizza, Duncan's, um, Pennies, stuff like that. But every time we would go and play DC Assault or we are going to these gyms up in up in DC, DC Shoot and Run, all that stuff, I would see nothing but Jays. You know, so I was like, you know, Jordan's in Baltimore was more so like you got Jordan's to hoop in. Like I hooped in the Cherry Red 12s my, my senior year of high school, you know, not knowing that like when people were waiting in line to get those shoes, they were, wait, they were waiting in line to wear them. Like it was dudes from Coppin that, that was probably from PG over there getting the same shoes. And when I was buying the shoes, I remember the dude like, hey, Slim, you getting them to hoop in? Because I was tall and I'm like, yeah, I'm hooping. And he like, damn, Slim, crazy. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, like, all right, what are they doing? They wearing these and they actually are wearing them. You know what I mean? So I can say that y'all did that because Deshaun shoe game was crazy when it came to, he didn't play in J's. He just wore J's. Like he had every single J. You know what I mean? So, and, and you can ask him, when we was in, when we was down in Texas, me and my boy Darrell, we had nothing but New Balances, and Sean would have all the Jays. So he kind of put me and my boy on. We started buying more Jays at the time. We was like, we're gonna rack up on joints, and we started buying joints. So have you ever camped out for a shoe, or are you more so if you don't walk in and they don't have your size, you're leaving, or are you camping out? Are you staying overnight? Are you staying in line? Like how how did that go for you? Back to college, me, Deshaun, Darrell. I don't think my boy Corey was there at the time. So me, Deshaun, and Darrell, we drove to Lubbock, Texas. We left our city four o'clock in the morning to get there for the release. The mall opened up at eight. We was at the mall probably around about 5.30. So we sat in the parking lot and then once the time started getting cold, these was for the breads. These were for the bread at 11. So you had, you had to get them, you know what I mean? And we all we all got them. We all got them. Um, we, uh, e even the dude, it, it helped us out because when we went there and we stayed in line, we had our, you know, our, our you know, team logo on or whatever. And the dude was like, we was just at Champs in Lovey, Texas. He was like, he was like, yo, I hold shoes for the uh 
the uh, Texas Tech basketball players too, but sometimes they go to other stores. So give me your numbers and I'll let y'all know what I got uh, when just when the shoes drop. And he shot us his number. We gave him our number. And then after that, we had to go up there and wait line no more. We just would go. He'd hold him for us. And uh, his people started catching on. So after a while, we would just send him the bread, which was scary as hell because you're in high school. I mean, you're in uh, college. You don't know if you're going to run off with your money. We'd send him the bread. And then he'd, he'd meet us somewhere and give us the shoes. So we was locked in after that. So we was good. So I was getting majority of the J's. But, like, my J's and my shoe game didn't go crazy until I got to Europe because it's so easy to get there. Mm. So when you were growing up, what was like your go-to shoe to hoop in versus what you did prefer to hoop in now? Um, man, any any Nike. Um, I, I like all the pro models that came out. Like you know, at one point in time where, uh, I want to say when I was younger, I couldn't tell you exactly when I was like you know when I was ten or eleven. I can't tell you what I was playing in, but like when I got old enough, like 14, 15, 16, it was just any type of pro model Nike, like whoever had like the hyper dunk, whatever it was, like I was wearing those. Um, and then once I got older and Kobe started making low cut shoes, I started jumping on the Kobe bandwagon when it came to shoes. I didn't wear too many Braun. Well, I think I wore Braun first shoe is Braun, the Braun ones. And I wore maybe the Braun twos, maybe at most, but I never wore that many Braun's like that. If it was low cut, I, I'd try them. And then I went on to, uh, I started wearing uh, KDs. KDs kind of was my thing all the way through college until I got to Colorado State. Uh, actually, Central, my shoe game kind of went crazy because I think being at Central, you had to, you know, I feel like if you play good, you know, I mean, if you look good, you play good. So my point guard would, would bring out, like, the last shot 14s. And I'd be like, damn, I'm fine. So i like, I got to get something too. So i go, and I'm like, I'm going to go pennies this game. I'm going to go with some phone pods this game. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with uh, some Kobe's this game. I'm going to go with some Jordan's this game, you know. So I think we had, like, a dope shoe game. I think we might have had the best shoe game in the MIAC at one point. So I ain't going to lie. I was shooting crazy. <laughs> I was shooting that's crazy. Big, that's, a, that's a big title that, you, that you're claiming I'm right telling, now. I'm telling you, at Central, I, it started with our PG. Our PG shoe game was crazy. Like, And then you, we had our boy Ray Willis, who had endless Jordans. He us, All he played in was Jordan. It was Jays. He ain't playing nothing else but Jays. So – that made me go like, all right, I'm going to go get some J's. I, I play in the fives one game. I play in the threes one game. You know what I mean? So it was dope to kind of like compete with each other when it came to shoes. And then also we was playing good. So last question for you. For a lot of people that have never been um, to Japan, it's a very big like streetwear place. You know, they're, they're wearing the bape and off-white and all types of and stuff before they're wearing it before us in the states even see it so is there any trend that you've kind of picked up on since you've been out there or maybe like an item that you've copped that you're like you know y'all don't got this type of thing yeah um <laughs> i uh so i pay attention to their streetwear and their streetwear is more so like lounge like fences is like we're, we're on that wave too with the essential sweatsuits the oversized hoodies the, the oversized pants um my my mom call them bell bottoms, but the pants that's coming down now and that's 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 flaring out now. Bottom, those yeah. are in, so they making the sweat they making the sweatpants like that now. So I got a few pair of those that I ain't even wear yet. That's kind of like I, I think I'm gonna turn a few hairs. Like you know, hold up, you know what I mean? Like what you got going on there? So like oh, my homeboys hit me all the time. Like they drop new. So you know, Amiri is big at home right now. You know, Amiri is like one of the top brands. Amiri and Gallery Department. I actually got a chance to go to Amiri Tokyo. And uh, Mike Mary dropped two new. He dropped two shirts. 
that was only made in Tokyo. They regular plain shirts, but it got a mirror design. But on it, it says Mary Tokyo. And the uh, manager that was there, he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, these shirts are only made here. They was only released here. Uh, they won't release them again. So I'm like, where they at? He showed me the black oil. I'm like, all right, I got to get both. They black or white. So I got both. And I'm like, man, don't be lying, bro. Because if I could look, if I could find these online, I'm going to be mad. And I actually looked them up. You can't find them. You cannot find them. You can't even find them on Tokyo and Mary online. Like, you got to go into the store to get them. So I found those and um, a few other items. Uh, but for the most part, if so, I think the shoe shoe size here is difficult for me. I wear 13. So it's hard for me to get many shoes if they're not like quote unquote designer type shoes. Cause you know, I feel like the designer stores carry big sizes because you know, it's just designer store. That's what they do. When it comes to like Nike, I think the cutoff is like 12. And I went into a store last weekend when we played Shibuya on a road and they had every pair of dunk you could possibly think of. They had, all the Jordan 3s, the 4s, the 5s, the 12s, like the 11s. Like, it was a crazy store. Like, so I'm in there. I'm actually picking up every shoe in there. Like, you got these in 13, you got these in 13. He's just like, we don't have nothing in 13. I told him, I was like, bro, if y'all had 13s, I probably would have bought like 10 pairs of shoes that day, bro. It was crazy. Like, I mean, stuff that you just didn't see, like stuff that you was trying to find. Like, and I had to question myself, like, this stuff fake. Like, there's no way the stuff is just laying around like this. And it's just like, they, you know, they produce it more and they have it more because a lot of times out of 10, it may be expensive to them, so they may not buy it that much. But, like, they had, like, the Travis Scott twelve, uh, the Travis Scott dunks in there. And, you know, right now on StockX or GOAT, there's, like, $1,200, $1,300, $1,400. for $600. I was hurt. <laughs> I was hurt. I couldn't get them, bro. So, I mean, it's cool, though. Uh, I feel like I'm going a, I'm to a definitely find my my, my shoe game eventually, but for the most part, uh, the fashion here is, is top 10, top 10. Tokyo is probably one of my favorite cities. Outside of Istanbul, Tokyo is my favorite city. Bro, that's that's crazy you say that, though, because going back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast, I didn't really know what to expect coming out here, bro. And when I went to Tokyo for mm -hmm. the first time um, and just going shopping out there and seeing, like, bro, like, people, first of all, people in Japan be stepping, bro. Like, they could dress, yeah. like, they be stepping. Yes. I, I, like even on the you get on the subway, like people on the subway flat out, like yo, like crazy, bro. Like, crazy. And it's it's different, bro. Like just the lifestyle, the clothes, the just the fashion, like, you know, like a chill fit for them might be a fit in America that oh we we popping out in. Fact. You know, like we 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 stepping outside in this. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna hit Rose Ball in this, I'm gonna kill them tonight in this. You know what I mean? <laughs> though they just they just walk in, they been walking to the, the local convenience store just to get some milk and some eggs and they going back in the house. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. I I <laughs> I I ain't get that that B1 salary yet. So I'm not in the Ameri Ameri Tokyo yet. But my favorite <laughs> store right now that I shop in is Zara. And it's crazy because when I went to the Zara, like out here, and mind you, bro, I'm in Oak, I'm in Okayama. It's not a big city yeah. at all, bro. If you go into mm -hmm. the Zara and the malls out here, bro, they got stuff I've never seen in no Zara in America ever, bro. Like the Real tough. clothes, like the the designs. I'm like, bro, like I will spend my whole check in here, bro. Like it's crazy. They got in here. It's crazy. I, I I don't understand. I'm like, yo, like I'm not even in a it, big city, bro. And the clothes and the, the swag is completely different, bro. It's completely different. Right. It's a it's a gift and a curse because when like even when I was in Europe, 
you know, be, before I really started shopping, so I, I shop smart when it comes to designer stores. So I always look at it like, okay, whatever I'm getting paid a month, if I can't buy that, if I can't buy this shirt twice in this month, then I'm not going to get it. You know what I mean? So like, like you know, if I can't afford two of them right now, then I'm not going to get it. Right. So, um, like for Zara, like Turkey, the Zara in Turkey, the Zara in Russia, the Zara in all these other places, I can't fit it. You know, it, 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 like I make, I make it get like a t-shirt here and there, but like it's some dope jeans that's in Zara that I would like. Right. You know what I mean? But like, so when I go to these, when I go to these uh, European stores or uh, these high fashion stores, like I'm not just going in there and just buying five things at one time. I'm going in there like, okay, I like this. When can I wear this? A lot of times I buy like I learned this from 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 Jeff. Jeff is like crazy with fashion. Jeff and Mike Conley, two of my vets, crazy with the fashion. That's Jeff, Jeff Green told me. He was, yeah, he was like, um, he was like, bro, when you, he's like, when I shop, he was like, I shop right at the end of like that summer fall for for next summer because a lot of times things are gonna be you know, discounted or whatever, they're trying to get rid of it. Right. And then he said, during the winter, he said, it's a lot of, it's like you buy things here and there. Like you find things that you can wear in summer and winter. So like, for instance, like I got some Amiri jeans that was discounted, but, uh, cause there was a new season was coming, the fall season was coming. This was summer, spring, summer. So I got these, but I can wear these in the winter and I can wear them in the summer too. So like, he just was breaking it down. Like he's like, when you buy shoes, he just was like, you know, shoes is normal. Like we gonna, you gonna pay whatever for shoes, regardless of what it is. Like you gonna find shoes, not just designer shoes, but Nikes, all that stuff. Like dunks, all that stuff. Off white shoes, they expensive. So you gonna pay a lot for shoes. But like when it comes to clothes, because they're so expensive, and, and you don't want to just blow crazy bag on. He's just like, but that's how you got shop. And then he was like, mix, mix in the high end with the low end stuff. He's like, you ain't necessarily gotta have a Mary shirt, Mary jeans, and Mary shoes. He said you can have on, you know, a, a Mary shirt with. With, with some purple brand jeans and whatever. Like, like so a lot of people, he like, man, don't get caught up in them raps and people that, you know what I'm saying, the same all this, that, and third, because last out of 10, you know what I mean? Like, they ain't really, you know, so I just left it at that. I'm gonna leave it at that. But he just he just dropped some jewels on me. And I mean, like, I can put together a fit real quick. I throw some black jeans, a black, uh, white, a white polo tee. I got my fitted. I put my little jewelry on, my little watch, whatever. And I got some nice kicks and I got a fit. And that fit might be only outside of just the clothes. It might be only five hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever it is. But like people always think you gotta have on thousand dollar jeans, thousand dollar shirt, thousand dollar shoes. I got on, uh, a fifteen hundred dollar bucket. Like no, bro. Like you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to do that because if you do that, I learned it from the lead. Like I said, if you do that and you trying to be on lead fits, because once you make lead fits and you on that camera, you gotta perform every single time you walk in that arena. You know what I mean? So it right. can't be Gucci, 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 Gucci. I mean, if you're brawn, you can do it, but like you can't be Gucci, 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 Gucci every time. Sometimes you might make in, mix in Nike. You might have on something else, you know what I mean? Whatever. So, or you could just be like my boy Joe Ingles and just wear the team shit to every, every bro game. <laughs> 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 my, boy, my boy Joe, he's going to keep it 100. He's going to have on his his team fit. He's going to have a pair of chucks on and he's going to have on his, his dad hat. And he in there with his cup of coffee and his shoes in his hand and ready to go to work. You know what I mean? So I, I love Joe for that. I, I did it a couple of times because Joe just showed me the way. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So I gotta I gotta ask one more one more question, man, before I get you out of here. So based on your time when you was in the league, man, you mentioned Mike Conley, Jeff Green, some of the dudes that, that were swaggy. Like, who would you say, man, is the top three like swaggiest dudes that you think like in the league or like 
whether it's teammates or just guys who think top three, like, all right, yeah, they, they, they be putting that, they be putting it on, like, based on guys that, that's in the league right now. Who would you say come to your mind? I can only – so, like, I haven't seen everybody swag, but I can only speak from the team that, you know, I was affiliated with. So, right now I'm going to go with – I haven't – I didn't – I didn't – we weren't in when he was there, but Jordan Clarkson got one of the best swags on in, in the league. Uh, you know, I, I like I like your fits, how you put that joint together. Uh, I'm going to go with Jeff. And the one, the last, like, Micah, Micah throw that swag on here and there. Um, but for that last, that last, it could go for anyone for the last, but you can put Mike there. You can put Donovan there. Donovan has some dope, some dope fitness there. And then you also go put, put my guy Royce O'Neal there. Royce has some nice fits too. You know what I mean? So that last, that last block can toss up. That's amongst the guys that I hoop with. You know what I mean? Um, but around the league, I'm sure there's a bunch of other guys that really got that, that really take, you know, take it serious. You know what I mean? But I know Jeff really take it serious. Like, he had, he be having this stuff, like, laid out. Like, yeah, this is what I'm putting on today. I'm going to shoes and go with this. My crossbody can go with this. You know, he's different. You be a stylist or, or that was all him? Um, I I think Jeff and Mike got the same styles. I think, I think, he, I think Jeff kind of pick out what he want and the dude kind of like, yo, I think you can twist it up and put this sort of woo-woo, but I think he do got a style. Some dudes don't have a style. I and I mean, and that, the crazy thing is, I'm saying this. I gotta go with, the third spot. I'm going with the homie from Baltimore. I'm going Will number one. I'm going Will <laughs> number one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. I'm going Will, Jordan Clarkson, Jeff. Yeah, okay. Will, bro. Will put that shit on. Like, like Will really put that shit on. That's a sleeper. He put right that there. shit on. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, I ain't. I ain't gonna lie. Put that. He do put that shit on, you know what I mean? Like, like the one that I think is so underrated is he came in to uh, the Denver Nuggets arena with the TNT kind of cover that that basically it, it basically instead of said uh, I think it said thrill something, but he had that joint on, like like basically like he was on the baseline taking pictures, mixed in with some jeans and some kicks, fire. If I can find a, if I can find a picture, I'll send it to you. Fire, like he. He just, he really gambled with it. Like, he came in with a Brunson League jersey. You know what I mean? He gambled with it. Like, he really do his own thing. I like his twist. You know what I mean? And then, outside of the league, I say, I throw myself in there. I could drip a little bit here and there. Okay. And then, um, okay. <laughs> it's a couple other dudes. It's a couple other dudes. I'm going off people I know. I say, uh, my boy Melton. Melton Delaney. Melton. Melton got some good fits. He got some nice fits. He always on overseas fits. Uh, then, whoever you want to put in that last spot, you put in that last spot. So, like, I, I think... and. And your fit has got to be what you're comfortable with. A lot of people think you got to do shit to get seen. Like, I like to be seen what I'm comfortable with. If I like oversized stuff, I'm in oversized stuff. I'm in my my my, my skinny jeans swag, whatever. You and your skinny jeans swag. But for most, of, most of the time, like, my joint going to be chill and simple. Like, you got to pay attention to what I'm wearing. Like, I don't, I don't like to wear everything that just scream the name brand, you know? Right. That's man. fire. That's fire, man. Hey, listen, man. My, my, my man just dropped some some gems, man, for the uh for the fashion. <laughs> All you hoopers that's tapping in, you know what I'm saying? Go look up Will Barry, you know what I'm saying? Jeff Green. It's crazy you said that though, because I was listening to an interview with Melo and D Wade. It was Melo and D Wade, and uh they were on with both of their stylists. And they asked him to say who's top five in the league. And they were talking about like uh Jordan Clarkson, uh D'Angelo Russell. Um, I think one of them might have said Kyle Kuzma, but I think uh, one of them, I think it was D Wade or Melo. I forgot one of them. One of them said Jeff Green. One of them. No, Jeff. PJ Tucker. How is nobody uh, saying PJ Tucker? Oh, yeah. I think, I think Melo mentioned him, I think. P, so PJ, PJ Swag 
it's different. I just want to get well for them. Let me not say that, but I went off with people that I know. Now yeah. looking from afar, PJ for sure, he's like, you know, definitely top five when it comes to when it comes to dressing. I mean, from his kicks, his own his own ball kicks, like when he's playing the game and then his kicks off the court and his fits. No, he definitely put it together. Like anybody that can like don't get me wrong, PJ Tucker's an NBA player, but when he goes to like the Michael Rubin, Fourth of July party, stuff like that. He's one of the best dressed there, you know what I mean? Outside of everybody, you know. Braun got a good swag too. Braun got yeah. a nice swag. So like the list can go on, but I was just going off with people that I maybe rubbed elbows up or affiliated with, you know, teams that I played with. Right. Yeah, I think right. sometimes too you can tell like who was into it before they basically yeah. had like who grew up trying to like mix the H&M divided with you know the czar like yeah. you can tell who was making the most out of nothing before they had a bag but now they have a bag so it's like just like I always say when I'm up like y'all don't don't talk to me because it's like yeah. I start putting stuff together. but yeah I feel like you can definitely tell who was doing this before they saw that first NBA check absolutely I, and, and I, I keep telling myself I keep putting just basketball on my posts like on my page like it's just all hoop so I'm gonna start. I told myself I'm gonna start getting more photogenic and start posting more pictures of my fitness. Honestly, like I be having fits that I be rocking, and I don't be nowhere. I don't be going nowhere. Like I just be, you know, I ain't got no pictures in them. I'm like, but me and my mind, my fashion mind, I'm like, oh, I can't wear this again. Like I got, I got, I got wear this a little bit down the line. Like you know, what I mean, out of war, somebody that saw me. But like now, if I start putting these fits on with pictures, it's like, oh, all right, cool. He he got he got some shit on. Like I like that. You know what I mean? So I think that's my. My New Year's resolution is to start posting more pictures of me dressed and putting my clothes on and things like that. We're gonna be looking forward to them, man. We're gonna be looking forward Absolutely. to the trip. You know what I'm saying, man? Um now this has been a dope, dope episode, man. I think we definitely hit a bunch of topics, man. Had a fun conversation, man. Um I I, I told myself, man, I was gonna steal this segment from all the smoke. Shout out Matt Barnes and, and uh Steven Jackson, man. At the end of every yeah. episode, they always ask their guests, man, they say, Who was one person that you recommend we have on the platform? Uh, that you think would be a good interview, man. And whoever you say, you gotta you gotta help us get them on. Whether it be you know send the send the uh, send the IG profile, whatever it may be, man. Who would you recommend? Man, I would say I said get my boy uh, James Bell, man. He playing out here also in the B League. He's in a, he's in uh, he's in B one along with us. Oh no, I'm sorry, he's in B two. He's in B two. So, um, but man, I think he can shed a lot of light. Philly guy. Uh, from 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 Philly area, um, uh, grew up in Florida, but moved up to Philly. So I mean, he he played at Nova, uh, winning guy. Played with me in um, in Turkey with or along with that David Black team. Played against each other. So uh, I think that's the person that you should definitely definitely hit up. And I definitely relate a message to him. It, it'd be a dope interview. It'd be a dope interview for sure. For so for so say no more. Yeah. Man. Definitely, we're gonna we're gonna be tapping in with him soon, then man. And uh. <laughs> Definitely want to shout out to you, man. We've been on here for a minute, man. I didn't even know we've been on here for over over an hour already, man. It's crazy when you have a dope conversation, man. Time just flies, yeah. man. Um, but I definitely want to say thanks to you for coming on, man. You know, it's late over here in Japan, this side of the world, man. And uh, I know you got a big time uh series this weekend, so I just want to say thank you for coming on, man. Um, Appreciate it. best of luck this season, obviously. Um, you know, like I said, man, I know we always joke around about the DMV and Baltimore, man, but. And like you definitely one of the best dudes that I've had the pleasure of, you know, seeing come out the area. And, and I'm glad I had the honor to be able to work out with you. And I know I'll probably see you this summer too, once we back home. Yes, sir. Jim, uh, Route One, man. So definitely look look forward to that, man. Like I said, man, uh, 
Thanks again for coming on. And uh, like I said, man, best luck this season, man. Keep keep getting them 30 balls, man. So Mark will keep going on <laughs> IG. You know what I'm saying? Appreciate it, dog. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, both of y'all. It was dope. I appreciate it. No doubt. No doubt, you guys. This has been another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast. As always, uh, make sure you guys are liking this podcast, subscribing to this podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend because it goes a long way, you guys. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode, y'all. Peace out. Thanks for listening to another episode of the What's In Your Bag podcast with Andrew Robinson presented by Bet Online. Please remember to like this podcast, subscribe to this podcast, and tell a friend to tell a friend, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, Bet Online remains your number one source for all football betting needs this season. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.